Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. It was Antonio in Shakespeare's The Tempest who said it first, what's past is prologue. He's rationalizing that he's fated to act by all that has happened in the past, leading him to this moment, in this case, to commit murder. Chiseled into the plinth of a statue on the Pennsylvania Avenue side of the National Archives building in Washington, D.C., there it is again. What is past is prologue. It means, I think, that history is a preview. Actually, a D.C. cab driver put it better. There's a funny story about Supreme Court Justice William O. Douglas of blessed memory. He was seated in the back seat of a cab when he passed the National Archives, knowing that D.C. drivers have a reputation for having an opinion on everything. He asked his cabbie what he thought those words meant. The driver turned around for a minute to eye Justice Douglas. We ain't seen nothing yet. I know the truth of another aphorism, Spanish philosopher George Santayana's those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it, or more popularly, those who do not learn history are doomed to repeat it. I believe that. But I'm not on board with the fatalism of the idea that the past is prologue. Our Unitarian Universalist faith teaches that we always have a choice. And that truly lovely theology, my friends, is a gift from Judaism. Let's take a moment to understand a little bit about the Jewish High Holy Days, and then I'll circle back to the question of fate. The High Holy Days begin at sunset this evening with Rosh Hashanah, marking the beginning of the Jewish New Year. The mood is a mix of reflection on the year just past, hope for the year to come, and gratitude for life. Over the next 10 days, Jewish people will feast and fast, pray, and especially engage in a moral self-assessment, make amends, seek forgiveness, and resolve to do better in the year to come. The Hebrew word for this process is teshuva. Teshuva is traditionally translated as repenting, but doing teshuva literally means returning, as in turning back to a path from which we've strayed. In other words, we can choose and we can change. Some years ago, New York's congregation, Rodef Shalom, a large reform synagogue in the Upper West Side, sent out a hilarious questionnaire along with the forms necessary to reserve and pay for a seat in the temple. 
multiple choice responses to the question, where would you like to sit during the High Holy Days? Including, check one, I would like to sit in the talking section or the no talking section. I want a seat located near my in-laws, far from my in-laws, far from my ex-in-laws, close to God, far from God, near the exit. The choice is yours. And returning to the question of fate, here's what their rabbi, Robert and Levine, had to teach me. Behind the magnificent plays of Sophocles, Aeschylus, and Euripides is a conviction that all of us are caught up in a predictable, preordained plan. The Jews, contends historian Thomas Cahill, were the first people to break out of this cycle. The first people to contend that history need not repeat itself. The future, they said, was not preordained, and we can shape the world going forward. I have often said that I am in the business of believing that people can change. That I can change, and you can change. I was deeply moved by this story told by an anonymous journalist. I grew up in an observant city neighborhood where the smells of challah and chicken permeated the community every Friday. On the way to my synagogue, there was always Joe. Joe would stand in front of the apartment building, puffing on his Shabbat morning cigarette, greeting us with a sly smile as we walked by. After sundown, as, he, as we marched down eight flights of stairs to avoid using the elevator, Joe would greet us, pushing the elevator button as he bit into his ham sandwich. The grown-ups would shake their heads and murmur about how much Joe had lost in the concentration camps and how he had to try to understand him. One day when I was 15 years old, I walked into shul on Yom Kippur and there was Joe, dressed neatly, wearing squeaky clean white sneakers and an embroidered kippah on his head. We stopped and stood bewildered by what we were seeing. Joe, my dad said gently, it's so nice to see you, but what's happened to you? Joe looked up, tears quickly filling his eyes, and he answered softly, Hitler is dead, and I have a grandson. The past is not prologue. It may be the reason, the explanation for the present, but there comes a time when the past is no longer an excuse. We have choices. I quoted from Dr. Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning last Sunday morning, and I want to quote from him again now. In Auschwitz, he learned that those who thought of others survived. We who lived in concentration camps, he wrote, can remember the men who walked through the huts, comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, 
to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. These words were echoed by another survivor in 1986, the great Elie Wiesel, as he accepted the Nobel Prize for Peace. In, and he said, because I remember, I despair. Because I remember, I have the duty to reject despair. On January 31st, 2007, the 78-year-old Wiesel spoke to some 2,000 people at the Roman Catholic-affiliated Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles, inaugurating a Jewish studies program. Seated in the front rows were some 50 members of the 1939 club, an organization of Holocaust survivors. Sonia Rosenwald, then 79, explained that their presence was intended to educate young people. Noting the club's attendance and its work, Elie Wiesel said, it's because we don't want our past to become your future. What does rejecting fatalism look like in our lives? It means being proactive about the unparalleled gift of the present. The biggest and most heartbreaking mistake is when people realize too late how much agency and power we have. Some years ago, a woman in her early 50s showed up here having just been diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. In a soliloquy punctuated by a persistent dry cough, she made it clear to me that she had been a heavy smoker for as long as she remembered, treated her body like a truck, and seethed with anger over all the injustice in her life and in the world. She had been unstintingly miserable long before her terminal diagnosis, which only confirmed her worldview. She concluded succinctly, why me? I love the cartoon of the professor writing a wildly complicated math problem on the board. At some point, there's a break in all the numbers and symbols, and she scrawls the word, the miracle happens here. And then she writes the answer to the equation. Well, I felt like I had landed squarely in the miracle happens here, this poor woman decided she was going to change her life. It was the only life-affirming choice, and she made it and ran with it. She got curious. She learned to meditate. She stopped with all the self-destruction and did some apologizing. She put an end to her raging and inexorably became enchanted by beauty. She actually endeared herself to some people and made some friends. I wish it hadn't taken a catastrophe to reach her. Nevertheless, the final months of her life were far and away her happiest. I remember sitting with her toward the end, mostly quiet, save for the sound of the oxygen compressor. When she turned on her pillow to look at me, her eyes were wide with surprise. What is it? I asked. 
She answered, I'm happy. What if we didn't wait until our lives were under threat to take this kind of leap? That's what this new year is all about, beginning with teshuva, turning back to a path from which we have strayed. At the close of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, a handbook for recovery from addiction, it says, clear away the wreckage of your past, give freely of what you find, and join us. Return to kindness, return to compassion, Return to love, open mind, open heart, and open hands. Michelle Hunter is a very, very successful businesswoman. Among many accomplishments, she's the co-creator of Designing Success Bootcamp for Entrepreneurs. She tells a highly instructive story. Here you go. Ah, goal setting. That lovely process where we stop hiding from reality and actually take time to reflect on all we could have done, should have done, would have done, if only with our time. You know the drill. Some make lists, some set goals, some make promises to ourselves, some pour wine. She continues, last year at about this time, I was midway through my normal dance of regret, followed by goal setting and commitment when the pain in my jaw and shoulder sent me to the hospital. I thought I'd pulled a muscle or pinched a nerve, but I was wrong. I was in the middle of an active cardiac event. I was having a heart attack. I'm going to interrupt Michelle Hunter's story to highlight this. 43%, almost half of females, do not experience chest pain at any time during a heart attack. Please know that acute or persistent neck, jaw, shoulder, upper back, and upper belly pain are an excellent reading reason to call 911. Back to Michelle. She continues. Suddenly, I was flat on my back in a hospital bed with lots of time to think about the things that were most important in my life. I asked myself some tough questions. As a result, Things are drastically different in a good way, and I'm thriving in every way. I'm naturally a pusher and a shover. I'm a hustler and a just-one-more-thing kind of person. Typically, I believe I can accomplish anything if I just try hard enough. It took a radical downsizing of my energy to make me realize that sleep really is important. My health is vital. My relationships are priceless. And perfection is overrated. I canceled planned projects. I referred 99% of my existing clients mid-project. I refunded a lot of money. It was gut-wrenching, but it was necessary. And in the process, I realized that many of them weren't a good fit for me. I needed a few boundaries, and by a few, I mean that no is a complete sentence. I created a red rope policy for my work and my life. 
bottom lines distinguishing what's okay, what's allowed, and what isn't. Now I only work with people who energize me and fuel my creativity, who appreciate my value and want to collaborate with me. My heart attack was my wild card. What could have killed me changed my life and changed me. And why did it take a heart attack for me to take action? Honestly, fear. The same fear that may be keeping us stuck, that keeps us from following our heart and our intuition. Michelle Hunter concludes, I hope hearing my story, you can make life-giving changes without the heart attack. Beloved spiritual companions, in this new year that is given us, may we remember Elie Wiesel, because I remember, I have the duty to reject despair. Remember Joe, Hitler is dead, and I have a grandson. Remember Viktor Frankl. We can choose our own way. Remember Michelle Hunter. And let's skip the heart attack. We can change. The past is not prologue. Amen. Now for our benediction, I invite you to put your hands over your heart in namaste. I bow to the divine in you. From Donna Markova, I will not die an unlived life. I will not live in fear of falling or catching fire. I choose to inhabit my days to allow my living to open me to make me less afraid, more accessible, to loosen my heart until it becomes a wing, a torch, a promise. I choose to risk my significance, to live so that which came to me as seed goes to the next as blossom, and that which came to me as blossom goes on as fruit. Let us keep this faith, beloveds, and pass it on. The service begins when the service ends. Bless your hearts. I love you. Lashana Tova. Amen.
visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace.